This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Coming up on episode 282 of Wheel Bearings, it's mostly just Robbie and Sam, but Nicole does pop in with her driving partner, Eileen, to talk about their uh, cross-country road trip from Disneyland to Disney World in the Kia EV6. We also talk about the Cadillac CT5 and Super Cruise, longer car loans, faked videos, a small electric pickup from GM, car, uh, car sizes, the Nissan Gobi, and more. All that coming up next. This is episode 282 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abuel Sandwich from Guide House Insights. And I am Roberto Baldwin from, let's say, Ars Technica this week. Okay. And uh, I guess you don't have anything that you were driving this week? I didn't drive nothing. I went to Detroit instead. Ooh. Well, we'll talk well, about I'm- that later. Actually, I don't think I was in Detroit at all. I was in Warren. <laughs> <laughs> you may have, you probably passed through Detroit though, going yeah. from the airport to Warren. Yeah, I might have passed through. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, if you took took I ninety four and then went up seventy five to Warren, then you at least passed through part of Detroit. There we go. So I, I passed through a portion of Detroit this week, okay. <laughs> but mostly I was in Warren. Um, and Nicole uh, is on the road right now with her. Uh, Fast Women co-host Eileen Falkenberg Hall. They uh, have been attempting to set a record uh, for a cross-country EV drive, driving from Disneyland to uh, Disney World. So from, from one mouse from, to another, from California to Florida, mouse um, to mouse. And uh, 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 well, we'll we'll hear how that's going. Uh, she should be calling in in about fifteen minutes or so. Um, so. I last week was driving the new the 2023 Cadillac CT5 premium luxury all-wheel drive uh, with the three-liter twin-turbo V6 engine, uh, which is actually a really nice car. I I like the CT5 a lot. Uh, I like the CT4 too. Um, and if I was spending my own money, I would probably get the CT4 because you know I'm. You know, I I prefer a small, a little bit smaller car, um, but you know, if I had need to also carry, you know, more than uh, my wife along with me in the in the passenger seat, and actually wanted to have, uh, you know, a couple of adults be comfortable in the back seat, the CT4's back seat is kind of tight. The CT5 is just kind of a nice sweet spot. You know, it's it's actually a little bit shorter overall than the old uh, CTS that it replaced when it came out in 2019. But uh, it actually has a longer wheelbase, so it's it's quite quite roomy inside for its size, um, and it's you know it's got this this fastback kind of style to it. Even though it, it is a sedan with a trunk, uh, it's not a hatchback. Um, and the thing that uh, you know I've driven the CT5 before, uh, but the thing that I was really particularly interested in with this one uh, is the. Um, the latest generation of Super Cruise, uh, which is GM's hands-free 
um, partially automated driving system or driver assist system. Uh, you know, and I, I first drove Super Cruise back in the fall of 2017 when it when it was first launched. Uh, we drove a, a Cadillac CT6, which is no longer available in North America, from Cleveland to Chicago to Memphis, and it was a really good system then, um, even with its limitations of what it what it was capable of. Uh, but over time, GM has made it better, and it's available on a lot more vehicles now. And there's currently two iterations of Super Cruise out in the marketplace. There are some vehicles that still have kind of the first, uh, an updated version of the first generation Super Cruise that was on that CT6. Uh, that's on the Chevy Bolt EUV and the Cadillac XT6 crossover. And both of those vehicles still have GM's old older electrical architecture. So they have the older version of Super Cruise. The new generation of Super Cruise requires GM's um, VIP, Vehicle Intelligence Platform architecture. And so it's on vehicles like the full-size trucks and SUVs, the Escalades, the Tahos, Yukons, the, uh, the, the Hummer, uh, also the uh, Sierra and Silverado. Uh, and it's also on the CT4 and CT5. And uh, this one has capabilities that aren't available in the old one. It's got updated, uh, newer sensors. It's got more compute power. Um, and it's got uh, capability to do over-the-air software updates, which the original didn't except for maps. <clears throat> and so I spent a good bit of time driving the CT5 uh, on the highway with Super Cruise. And it's gone from originally they had about 130,000 miles of roads mapped. Uh, it's now, uh, let's see, in 2021, they updated that to 200,000 miles, over 200,000 miles of roads. Um, and it went, it expanded from just fully divided interstate type highways to adding some other divided, you know, slightly more rural highways, you know, that you'll find in a lot of parts of the country where they're divided, uh, but they're still, um, they're not quite fully limited access highways like an interstate. Uh, and then last summer they announced they were doubling that to 400,000 miles, adding a bunch of rural roads and, and other roads. Um, and the, uh, the, <clears throat> the, um, uh, that version, that updated version has begun rolling out to the full-size trucks and SUVs. They haven't put it on the CT5 yet, so I couldn't try it out on those kinds of roads. But I did try it on, on some highways and, and actually recorded a video uh, doing a drive with it uh, and trying out some of the new features like automatic overtaking and auto lane change uh, or lane change on demand. Um, you know, I didn't do any towing with this one, but I did last summer uh, try, get to try towing uh, on a prototype Sierra um, at the GM Proving Grounds, and uh, that worked really well. This one, uh, I just did uh, did the highway driving, and it's it's really impressive how well the system works. It still has um, the uh, infrared driver monitor camera uh, on, the, on the steering column. And um, the, uh, uh, the light bar in the, in the top, part, top section of the steering wheel, which I still think is the best um, human-machine interface that anybody, any automaker's done for this type of system because it's, it's really visible. Uh, you're, you know, and it's, it's very unambiguous. You know, it, it goes from blue, meaning it's ready for Super Cruise, 
to green meaning it's active to red meaning you need to take over control uh and they're, they're you know unlike the you know the way that ford's done it with blue cruise um and even bmw on the the seven series on the seven series it's got uh some leds uh to give you that indicator but rather than being that whole top segment of the steering wheel they're in the the left and right spokes and it's better than what ford's done but it's not it's not as good as the gm setup uh and i haven't tried haven't had a chance to try mercedes drive pilot yet to see how that uh that configuration works but i think it's, it's little it's, lights on the side yeah on the okay. side of the 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 steering wheel yeah that's they're on the steering wheel but they're like they're it's it's like the bmw system okay so um you know, the Super Cruise, you know, does a great job of keeping the car really centered in the lane. From the very beginning, it's had predictive speed control. So as you're approaching a curve, you know, it looks at what your speed is and what the radius of the curve is because it's got, got it all mapped out. If it thinks your speed is a little bit too fast for that curve for it to, for it to handle safely, it'll automatically just back off your speed a little bit as you go through the curve and then resume whatever your set speed was. And you can see that, see it doing that in the video on a couple of curves uh, in the highway. Um, and then when you're coming up behind another vehicle, if you, you can, you can actually, you can go in the settings and you can disable the auto lane change. Um, and um, as well as the lane change on demand, uh, if you don't want it to do that, but if you have that turned on as you're approaching another vehicle, you know, in the past, you know, normally it would just slow down as any adaptive cruise control system would do and maintain a gap to the vehicle in front of you. But with uh, the auto lane changing or auto overtaking, really, um, when, it sees, when, when you're approaching that vehicle, it'll start checking the lane uh, to your left. And if it's all clear, it will, in the, in the Cadillac, it has haptic feedback in the seats. So it will buzz the left side of the uh, the seat cushion and and also in the instrument cluster it'll give you an indicator saying hey, you know uh, auto lane change you know before it does it it'll tell you it's going to do a lane change and if you don't want it to change lanes you can just tap the steering or the turn signal stock and that'll cancel it so it won't go it'll just stay in the lane uh, but if you don't do anything then when it's clear it will gently pull over to the next lane pass the car in front of you and if it's clear um, then it will pull back into the right lane again, has proper lane discipline. You know, the like kinds of the things all we, of you. All of you should be pulling over to the right after you Absolutely. Pass. <laughs> stay out of the left lane except to pass. You know, stay right except to pass. Um, and, um, and then, you know, if there's another car right in front of it, it'll continue, you know, until it finds a, a clear space to pull back to the right again. Uh, so it, do, it does what you would expect uh, a dis well-disciplined driver to do. Um, and it works really well. Um, you know, it's, I, you know, I am still, I still have some skepticism about these systems in general, where the human has to supervise the system. You do have to keep your eyes on the road. You know, if you look away from the road for more than uh, a few seconds, uh, it will start to alert you. And if you, uh, you know, if you don't look back at the road, you know, within about six or seven seconds, I think it'll actually start to slow the car down. Um, and if you continue to not pay it, not res uh, respond and take control, then it will, um, eventually bring the car to a, a full stop, turn on the hazard lights. Um, when you get down below about 40 miles an hour, it turns on the hazard lights and, and bring the car to a full stop. And if you're non-responsive, you know, I mean, if you've had, you know, if you've had a medical emergency, for example, um, or you've just fallen asleep, uh, then it will use OnStar. It'll say, Hey, do you need help? 
you know, I can call call for emergency assistance, and if you don't respond to say no, I'm okay, then it'll call nine one one for you uh, and send somebody to your location. Uh, so, uh, like I said, it the, the system is uh, works really well. You can check it all out in in the video that I'll include in the show notes. A link to that, um, but. I you know I generally really like this car. Um, the one I had uh, had the optional three liter twin turbo V6. Uh, the base engine is a two liter four cylinder turbo uh, with uh, 237 horsepower, 258 foot pounds of torque. The V6 335 and 405 uh, foot pounds or uh, 550 newton meters of torque, uh, which is why on the trunk lid it says 550T, uh, which is that's you know, Cadillac's. Uh, naming convention, you know, the badging convention that they put, they started putting on their vehicles a few years ago. Uh, in addition to the, the vehicle nameplate, they have a number uh, that tells you um, the vehicle torque, uh, the powertrain torque in newton meters, which, of course, every American, you know, knows to, how to easily go back and forth between newton meters <laughs> and foot pounds. Uh, As we do. It's something we taught, we were taught in school. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's roughly about, uh, uh, about, uh, one and a half, uh, or about 1.4 times uh, the uh, the the number in newton in foot pounds to get newton meters, or divide by 1.4 roughly oh. to get to from newton meters to foot pounds. Or use Wolfram Alpha. That's that's my. Uh, well, you could do that too. Or you could just say, you know, hey, G, you know, how many foot pounds is 550 newton meters? And it'll tell you that too. Or Siri might be able to do it, but I doubt it. Um. <laughs> anyway. Uh, the you know like I said the size I really like the size you know it's a midsize premium sedan it feels very premium. Um, one thing that I noticed and I I'm I'm not sure when they actually made this change but I remember back in early 2019 when they were first showing when they were first revealing the CT5 uh, I went to a backgrounder at the uh, at the design studio and they were walking us around and we were, I was sitting in the car and. Looking around, and I noticed, you know, with the the CT5, um, they have uh, a central control knob on the uh, on the console for the infotainment system, uh, and you can rotate it and toggle it. And it's just like a just like a BMW iDrive system. <clears throat> uh, and next to that, there's a volume control. And at least initially, they also had a volume knob uh, next uh, on the screen, on the next to the touch screen on the uh, on the top of the dash. And also a volume control on the steering wheel. So you had three different ways to adjust the volume. Uh, at some point, they eliminated the one that was on the screen, next to the screen. And so you just have the one on the steering wheel and the one on the console next to your, your big rotary controller now. Uh, but that's fine. You know, uh, this, uh, The CT5 um, hasn't yet been upgraded to the new generation infotainment system that's based on Android Automotive. Uh, but it does have support for Apple uh, CarPlay and Android Auto, both wireless, which is nice. So you can get in the car. You don't even have to take your phone out of your pocket or purse. Um, it'll just automatically connect. Um, and uh, and then you can use your smartphone projection. Uh, what else? Um, the, the trunk is a pretty good size in this thing as well. Um, it's reasonably fuel efficient. You know, it's got good performance. The one I had was all-wheel drive. Uh, it's got a 10-speed automatic transmission. Uh, the uh, fuel econ- EPA uh, fuel economy rating for the four for the four cylinder is 19 city, 27 highway, 22 combined. For the V6, it's 
one less of each, so 18, 26, and 21 combined. I actually got 22 uh, combined uh, over my week of driving it, uh, which is, you know, quite quite decent, uh, you know, compared to, you know, the, the competition in the segment for this performance level. Uh, you know, I mean, it's obviously not great, but, it, it, you know, it's 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 competitive with the rest of the market. Um, and uh, the CT5 starts, has a base price of uh, just over $42,000. Uh, the one that I was driving uh, was <clears throat> pretty much loaded with just about everything. Um, and it was priced out at $66,355, um, uh, including a destination charge. Um, and guess who just joined us uh, as I was speaking? Uh, Nicole has dialed in from somewhere in the southeast. Um, hey, Nicole. How you doing? Hey. Good. So I am in, where are we? <laughs> I think we're okay. in Florida. We're in Florida somewhere. I had to think for a second. I'm in Florida. <laughs> Hi, Eileen. How you doing? Chipley, Florida. Yeah, I'm doing great. Welcome to Wheel Bearings. I'm good. How are you, Sam? So I, I don't know if you've listened to the show. <laughs> yeah, or thank not, you for having we, me. We have a, a little bit of a tradition uh, when we're done uh, at the end of our uh, reviews and we talk about pricing. Um, everybody has to guess what the destination charge is. And uh, okay. since, since you're new, uh, you want to go first on what, what you think the destination charge is for a Cadillac CT5? I know it's far too much, whatever it is. Mm. I'm going to guess $14.95. Um, Nicole, would you like to guess? I, I'm not going to be even remotely close, so I'm going to go $12.95. And Robbie? Sorry, I had to take my cat out of my room because it was just meowing like crazy. $1,100. <laughs> Well, this time Nicole wins. Uh, oh. It was thirteen ninety five. So Eileen was a little over, and Nicole was just a little under, and Robbie was. Oh, too low. I never win, Eileen. I never win. Well, this you're welcome. Like, I have given woo. you the magic powers. <laughs> Did you know you can support Wheel Bearings directly? Head to Patreon.com/slash/WheelBearingsMedia, and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. All right. Well, since uh, since we've got the two of you, um, and uh, I don't want to necessarily keep you too long, um, why, why are you in Florida? So we were uh, trying to beat the guys over at TFL Car. They took a Hyundai Ionic 5 from Disneyland to Disney World, and they drove it straight. Not the idea of, like, speeding like as fast as you can, but if you just drove reasonably and efficiently and stopped to charge and sort of figure out where you need to charge, how quickly can you do it? And they did it in 46 hours and 46 minutes. So Eileen and I were trying to beat them in a Kia EV6. And we were on pace to do it. We were on pace to do it. Two things foiled our attempts, which is why we are calling you from a parking lot at a Walmart at a charger in Florida <laughs> and not from our final destination. So when we were driving the first half of the drive, the Electrify America Charger, sometimes that's the only ones available for certain stretches of where we were driving. And we had to stop here and charge here. And then we had to get that many miles to get to the next one. And it had to stop at that one and charge at that one. Um, those chargers, almost all of them were not charging at what they should have been. Um, we were getting charging speeds plugging in of like, you know, 59 
one point it was 12. <laughs> oh. and, and we're plugged into like a 350 watt charger, yeah. kilowatt charger. We're not plugged into something that, you know, it is only supposed to be like a level one or level two. Yeah. And, and then they were. Then so we wait, wait, you're, you're, you're telling me you went to Electrify America chargers that uh-huh. didn't work as, as advertised? I know. It's Weird. shocking news, Sam. Absolutely shocking news. And in fact, some of them actually, once you plugged in and were connected, would say, hey, heads up, now that you've done all that, um, our network is in the process of improving itself, so your charging speed may be slowed. <laughs> Those, it tops out at 69. So our nine-minute nice. charging stop would suddenly be an hour. Like, we had to charge to a certain point. It wasn't like, well, let's just go down the road. There's nothing down the road. This is it. So, um, so that messed us up. And even that we were able to overcome that because we were being really careful about the speeds we were driving to make sure we were using the battery as efficiently as humanly possible, topping it off where we could. But then we got to Florida, well, Houston last yesterday, right? Houston. Right outside of Houston. And we had torrential downpours to the point that you couldn't see where you were going. And fog. And combined with fog. And as we were driving, like we were getting into, we were in, where were we? Alabama yesterday? Louisiana. Or Louisiana. There was all of a sudden there was a point where like everybody's hydroplaning off the road. Literally, there's just cars off the road and emergency vehicles. There was an entire truck carrying cars that was off the road this morning. And not just off the road, into the tree line, people going away in ambulances. It was extremely dangerous. It was really bad. So we last night at like 40 hours into the deal. We're like, you know what? This is silly. Like we're not going to risk getting into Hmm. trouble. So. We decided to call it. We pulled over at a hotel, and now we're just going to start back up this morning. We're going to see how long it takes us all together, but, like, way longer than those guys even taking out the hotel stop because we were driving, like, 45 miles an hour through that rain, you know? And with the all-wheel drive system working, we had the max defrost on. We had the windshield wipers going. Even, you know, conserving power inside the car only to those necessity functions, we still wore down our charge pretty significantly. Well, the rain, like both the fact that you're fighting wind, you're fighting rain, but oh, also yeah. you're fighting the, yeah. the surface tension of the water. I mean, all that like kills. Rain. Exactly. And it was like, we, Robbie, it wasn't the surface tension. It was the fact that we were fording water like we were driving in a dark Jeep. <laughs> there was like, it was the arc. The EV6 became Noah's arc last I, Like, so I mean, I plugged into charge the last time we charged before we pulled over and she taps on the window because I'm hiding in the car. I'm like, you go charge the car. I'm hiding in here, right? And she, she's wearing flip-flops. The water is so deep, it's running over her ankles. Like, she's just standing in a small lake. And trying I was to on an in. incline in a parking lot where the water was running. It wasn't like it was just sitting there and stagnant collecting. It was, it was, I have never river. been that wet, and I shower regularly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm glad that uh, that you both stayed safe. Um, yeah. Because I, I did see a headline a little while ago uh, about some tornadoes. Uh, and thunderstorms that also came through um, central Alabama uh, yesterday. And and uh, yeah. some people did not fare so well. So I'm yeah. glad that both of you are both safe. Um, so o- overall, how has the, I mean, you know, setting aside, well, actually, first, you talked about Electrify America and your challenges yeah. there. But I know from following you on Instagram over the last couple of days, that wasn't the only network that you used, right? Yeah, we used um, EVgo. And EVgo was fine. We had no problems with it. I think we used EVgo once or twice. 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 And we used ChargePoint once. And ChargePoint, also fine. No, no issues. They You drove up, plugged in, charged, got, got a reasonable amount of kilowatt hours. Like you looked like, yep, that seems right given 
where we pulled in as far as our state of charge when we pulled in and how it ramped up and how it ramped down, everything seemed fine. That station that we used for charge point was in California and it actually maxed out for us. It was running full max the entire way like it should. That was the most operable of all stations we visited. Yeah, so that one was really good. So, you know, other chargers, and we have since had, like we're an Electrify America charger right now and we're getting, and I can tell you, what are we getting? We're getting, yeah, see, it's, it's we just got over 80%. We just picked over 80% charge and we're down to 89 kilowatts. But when so it was running full steam, it was about 200, 205. Yeah, so this okay. one's right. fine. That's like a doing. good click. That's a yeah. good Right, yeah. so, so I mean, so you get it when they work, they're great, like, and they'll be fine. But when they don't work, you're like, seriously, seven? And it was like, I just remember sitting in a parking lot and it was seven kilowatts coming out of that dang thing. There was no other charger. There were four in this lot. Three of them didn't work. We were the only one that would work. Had to plug into every single one to find out that they didn't work. Oh. And, and we were on the border in a border town surrounded by um, Customs Border Protection vehicles at a day's in in a parking lot full of stray dogs. Yeah, it was super at safe. At like 2 o'clock in the morning. So just like all those factors together, <laughs> that was a very limiting experience. <laughs> So how about the car? How, how, you know, you mentioned, you know, that it handled well in the, in the torrential yeah, rain, but you how, know, how has just, it been overall? Despite the challenges with the charging and the weather, the car has been fantastic. And like we were saying yesterday, truly horrible rain amounts on the road. Like the road literally had inches of water just cascading across it. You could feel that you were driving through water. You can feel the resistance of the water under the wheels. But it, the car handled beautifully. The all-wheel drive system in this did not miss a beat. We had no problems. There's Continental tires. Uh, I forget which Continental. True contact, something contact. They've got good tires in the car that are actually rated. We looked it up to be good in the water. We're like, heck yes. The tires nice. did really well. We never felt like, like I knew I was driving in water. You could hear it. But I never felt like, oh, gosh, I'm, I'm in danger of slipping. Like I need to slow down. And it was more we were stopping. Because the fear was like I was watching people on the road who were almost running into each other as they were sliding, and it wasn't. It was like it's not so much me; it's the other guy. Yeah, you know it's what I mean? somebody in like a like a like a like an old F one fifty doing eighty yes. miles an hour. Like I yeah. don't need to slow down, and then their back end just slides out and hits exactly. you. Exactly. Where we where we finally where I finally called it and said that's it. We came over a crest. There's you know emergency vehicles on the side of the road. And there's a Cadillac Escalade in the woods. I'm like, I'm out. This is it. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, I don't want to get hit by a Cadillac Escalade. We got to pull over. We got to stop. The Escalade. Wise, wise decision. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. So we, we did get um, a question from a listener specifically for the two of you. Uh, from Gifted okay. Napper, who has who has uh, sent us questions in the past, uh, he posted this one on Mastodon last night. Uh, it says, "I'm wondering how uh, how the two of you like or don't like the dual function audio and climate control buttons. Uh, I tried them once, and it was almost a deal breaker on the car for me. Curious if you get used to it over time, or if it's still just as annoying." Okay, I got used to it. I'm not keen on it. It's a little frustrating. It's especially frustrating, like you're trying to adjust the climate. Like I'm driving, right? And it's driving, it's night, it's not great conditions. I'm trying to adjust the climate. I have to change. But if I don't change the button and then adjust the climate fast enough, now it's not on climate again. Wait, I got to put it back on climate, put it on climate again, adjust the heat. Uh, I find them frustrating. Eileen, what did you think? I don't care for it. I, I like it in theory a lot more than I like it in reality. And I also have trouble with the uh, climate control itself. Um, I don't care for the way that that, like, I don't, the way it, it dispenses the air and diversifies the, I don't care for it. Like the automatic climate control is not where I want to be in life. Okay. 
it's it's yeah no I, I I've used it too and I I, I what I end up doing is leaving on climate control and then using the volume controls on the steering wheel but I I still like I still like will turn that wheel that little knob and be like oh it's getting warmer <laughs> yeah, yeah. <sighs> so uh, aside from the the challenges with charging um, you know assuming that that were to someday potentially get fixed. You know, having driven almost all the way across the country now in an EV. Yes. Yes. Would Would you say that an EV is uh, is a, a viable vehicle to to have as as a single vehicle you could use for anything, including a cross country drive? Okay. Yeah. Technically, yes, you can do it. Um, the yes, I would be tempted to not have if I did road trips all the time. If for some reason I was doing this. Every couple months, I probably wouldn't have an EV be my only choice because the two, the, like, let's assume even that the network works, right? Let's assume I walk up to every charger, it works, it charges what it's supposed to. There still aren't enough of them. So you end up in locations like we were in some pretty sketchy locations. We watched a drug deal. We did. We watched a drug deal in one parking lot. Um, that's, just a entre- a- that's just a small business. I don't know why you're... <laughs> <laughs> we thought it was a prostitution thing, and we were relieved it was just a drug it's deal. It's like, oh, no, she's just walking out with a little baggie. Okay, it's drugs. Um, but, like, so if you're if you're traveling a lot, like, do you want to stop? Not even just yourself. You're say it's your you and your wife and your kids, right? Do you want to stop in a sketchy parking lot in the middle of nowhere where they're doing a drug deal to charge your car up in the middle of the night because there's literally nowhere else to take it? Like that. So I don't think it's ideal for long distance road trips. I would still not hesitate to buy an EV as my second car in a heartbeat. Um, but I think if you're a long distance road tripper, like a PHEV is a better choice. You can still get some electric vehicle use out of it, but you don't have to stop in that sketchy parking lot to charge. You don't have to worry about finding, you know, there's four different chargers. You back to the first one. No, you back in the second one. No, you back in the third one. No. And you're thinking, Oh God, if this fourth one doesn't work, I am in the middle of nowhere with just border patrol here to help me. Like that's, it's not, it's not ideal driving across country yet. You can do it. A hundred percent. Is it easy to do? Absolutely not. Okay. Well, since uh, I know you're already over 80% charged, uh, I'm sure the two <laughs> of you probably want to get this thing over with. So um, any, any last thoughts before we let you go? No, this was really fun. You know, even though we didn't beat TFL, um, stupid Roman still wins the record there. Um, we, this was a really great experience. We learned a lot about driving with EVs, and it makes me feel like I understand the challenges, the pros and cons of it a lot better than I did before. And it was it was a fun experience. As much as the crazy, the drug deals, the prostitutes, the whatever else, the water, it was still a lot of fun. And we talked to a lot of cool people along the way who were asking about the car, talking about vehicle charging. There's a lot of excitement for EVs, so it was fun. I enjoyed it. I concur. I would do it again. I'd love to do it in a different vehicle with a little more range. Yeah. Which, All right. So are you guys still – are you both still going to go to Disney World? Do you get to go have I fun? am. Eileen wasn't ever, but yeah. Are you – do you Eileen. even know me? <laughs> yes, I'm going to Disney World. Duh. All right. Just I'm, double- I'm, going, I'm going to a bar and then going to a plane and flying home because I haven't been home in a week and a half. Home. <laughs> Who needs home when you have Disney characters? (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for calling in. And uh, for for those that haven't listened to the Fast Women podcast, if you want to hear more of Nicole than you hear here and and also uh, hear Eileen's thoughts, um, make sure you check out that show every week as well because it's a great show. All right. Bye, guys. 
Bye. 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 Uh, all right. Uh, let's get into um, a few items uh, for this week. Um, first up, Robbie, what's Yo. the longest car loan you've ever gotten? Three years. I, I, the, the, I, I know there's five years. I know there's, I know then they just keep getting longer and longer. And in my brain, I'm just like, I, if I can't afford a car after three years and I shouldn't be buying that car, that's my, that's my thought process. Cause I, a, I'm, I'm very cheap, but also I think, I feel like I'm being a little bit responsible, but mostly I'm just cheap. Well, no, I mean, that, that's a, that is a, a very reasonable, um, thing to do a, a very reasonable response. Um, and you know, I mean, there's, there's being cheap. You know, and you've also got to, you know, everybody's got to watch their budget. I mean, you know, unless unless you are wealthy, which none of us are, um, at least none of us recording the show, um, you know, we, we have budgets that we have to work within. We have a certain amount that we can afford to spend on transportation every month. Um, and, uh, you know, having, uh, you know, having a car loan that, you know, stretches almost as long as your mortgage, um, to me, does Oof. not seem like a great idea. Uh, but... Um, uh, in the last couple of years, um, loans have been getting as cars have been getting more and more expensive. Um, you know, in order to try to get um, lower monthly payments, a lot of people have been shifting towards these longer interest loans. And you know, until you know, until this past year, when um, interest rates started going up, I and mean, when you could get, you know, if you had reasonable credit, you know, you could get interest rates, you know, for under two percent, uh, in most cases, on a on a car loan, um, you know, a lot of people have shifted to six and seven year loans, and I think in Canada, even eight year loans are increasingly common. Yes. You know, so ninety six month loans. But um, according to a story from the the, the Drive, uh, actually, I guess it originally came from Automotive News. Um, by uh, by the end of October of twenty twenty two, nearly a fifth of new car buyers last year had gone for seven year loans on a car, which to me is just bonkers. I remember when five year loans came along and people were like, why would you do that? Why that's insane. And now I think those are pretty much the norm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The longest I've ever done is, is four year loans. Um, and, uh, and you know, even that, you know, is, is a fairly long time, but you know, when the average price of a new car, uh, the average transaction price is nearly fifty thousand dollars now. You know, unless you have somehow managed to save up, you know, twenty twenty five thousand dollars for a down payment, um, you know, then you might not be able to afford a payment longer than, uh, you know, or, or more, you know, more than what it would cost for a five year, you know, four year, you know, five year loan, because uh, you know the the shorter the shorter your terms are. You know, the shorter the loan term is, you know, the more your monthly payment's going to be. And that, you know, is often the desi- deciding factor for most car buyers, you know, in terms of what they can buy is what is the monthly payment? Um, you know, what what can I afford to spend every month on this thing and, and know that I'm going to be able to pay for it and fit it in my budget? Yeah, yeah. and that's that, that. And the unfortunate part is that if you just want a regular nice car, you're paying all so much money. And if you're like, okay, well... You know, I live in a, I live somewhere where I need a car. I have to get to work. I have to take my kids to school or I have to, you know, I have things I have to do. 
I need a car that'll fit this many people. I'll do this thing. And I'm like, oh, it's $35,000. Okay. And you think about that, like, oh, that's $500 a month for like a three-year loan. You're like, well, I can't afford $500 a month. So I'm going to have to eat that extra. You know, you're paying more over the long run because you're getting a longer loan because you're paying more towards the interest than you are to the, to the, um, to the actual, than to the actual car because your loan is longer. And you're just, it's just on, uh, it's, you know, cars are too expensive is the <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, especially EVs, uh, you know, oh. I know, you know, uh, last time I checked a few months ago, you know, the average transaction price for all vehicles in the U.S. was four, was uh, almost $49,000. And for EVs, it was $66,000. Now, hopefully this year that will start to moderate, um, you know, later this year when we start to start to see some less expensive EV, new EVs coming to market like the uh, the Chevy Equinox, which is supposed to start at thirty grand, um, you know that'll help, uh, and hopefully some of the price increases that we've seen on EVs will start to get uh, because of increased battery prices will start to hopefully get rolled back a little bit uh, yeah. as the the battery material costs start to moderate as well. But um, it's going to be I, a challenge. I will say I had a friend who just bought a, a Ionic Five like yesterday. And they were saying that they were getting the car for $9,000 less than the person who was supposed to buy the car and that the dealership seemed like they were like really trying to sell the car like because the lot was full. Mm-hmm. So I think we're hopefully coming out of the whole supply chain issue where you you know someone's going to rip you off to, in order to get a car because there's only three cars on the lot. So, it, you know, this is anecdotal evidence um, based on a friend from, you know, text messaging. But hopefully – for people who are who are buying cars who have to buy a car right now, um, it's 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 not going to be nearly as 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 horrible on your bank account. Yeah, and I have seen a couple of other reports in the past week that car prices are starting to to slow down a little bit. Um, although you know that's that's not universal across the board. Um, actually, just saw uh, somebody posted uh, on uh, on Twitter, um, which I'm just checking into for notifications. Uh, a, uh, a sticker from uh, from a Toyota dealer in uh, North Wilkesboro, North Carolina, uh, for a Corolla GR. Um, oh and, uh, wow! <laughs> yeah, the uh, the MSRP on this car yeah, is thirty eight thousand nine hundred forty five dollars. They have something called the Millennium Package for nine hundred ninety five dollars. Classic Package for another nine hundred ninety five dollars, and then. A nineteen thousand nine hundred ninety-five dollar market adjustment, um, as well as seven hundred ninety-nine dollars for documentation fees, uh, and then uh, eighteen fifty-one for tax, and then another two hundred and five dollars for non-tax fees, whatever whatever that means. What is this? What for, is for a grand total of sixty-three thousand seven hundred eighty-five dollars for a Corolla GR? I mean, that's all. We're always going to get hosed on those cars, though. Yeah, that's that's the problem with those with those like short run enthusiast vehicles is they know they're going to find some some kid who's super into, you know, that vehicle or or some parent or who's, who's happy to buy their child a vehicle or someone like me who's won the lottery for some reason. Somehow I've won the lottery and now I'm driving. <laughs> like, I'm going to go buy a GR Corolla for $70,000. <laughs> like I, I got angry because I. You know, I have the I have the BRZ, and I was like, well, I can sell this for twenty two, but if I want to buy a new one for a thirty thousand dollar car, the markup in the Bay Area is thirteen to fifteen thousand oh, dollars. 
That's I'm like, that's stupid. 50% of the price. Yeah. No. I just walked. I actually laughed out loud at the Toyota dealership because I went, uh, I had to take the Hyundai in to get like the wheels rotated or something. And uh, so I walked down to the Toyota dealership and they had a GR86 in, in the thing. And I just, I, I, I laughed out loud very, because <laughs> I was just, I was like, oh, it can't be as bad as the one that my friends sent me from the Subaru dealership uh, earlier that week. And I was like, ha! And I just turned around and walked out. <laughs> Uh, all right. Um, next up, um, let's see. I don't know. You you may have all seen uh, at some point over the last several years. Uh, it's been actually what? Uh, it's been over six years now since it was originally posted. Um, Tesla posted a video that is still on the Tesla website on the autopilot page, uh, which is commonly referred to as the "Painted Black" video because the the, the soundtrack to the video is is the Rolling Stones song "Painted Black." And it's a it's a time lapse video that purports to show a uh, Tesla Model X um, driving itself around uh, around um, the Palo Alto area where Tesla was headquartered until uh, they moved to Texas. Uh, and the the opening title card on the video uh, says, you know, that um, you know this car is driving itself. Uh, the driver, you know, the, the the person is only behind the wheel for legal reasons. Um, well, it turns out that it wasn't showing quite really what uh, what was being claimed. Um, a couple, uh, back in 2018, a uh, uh, an Apple engineer named Walter Wong um, crashed his Model X on the 280. Um, I think come, I don't know if he was coming home from work or going to work. Um, I think he was in, heading uh, to heading to work. Okay, in yeah, in Silicon Valley, and. Um, uh, he had been using autopilot, uh, and he was not holding onto the wheel as the instructions explicitly tell you to, and not really watching the road apparently. And he, prior to this crash, he had reported to Tesla and to um, you know to Tesla customer support at least seven times that you know the car was not behaving properly and it was veering towards the center median um, on this stretch of road, and yet. He continued to use it, um, and ultimately on that last day, um, the car crashed into the center median, and he was unfortunately killed. Uh, and his family subsequently sued Tesla for wrongful death, and um, uh, that trial is uh, about to get started. And some of the documentation uh, from the discovery process in that trial uh, has now been released, and um, let's uh, the director of autopilot software, uh, whose name I'm can't find at the moment, uh, but in his deposition for this trial, he acknowledged that the video was staged. He was asked about this video and said, "Yeah, you know, acknowledged that it was staged. It was not done in one single run, as Tesla has purported for the last six years. It was. It took many takes, you know, and cutting together the video to get." what appears, you know, from watching the video, a clean run. And because it's not done, it's, the video is not in real time. It's a time lapse. You know, it, it's a lot easier to, to fake that sort of thing. Um, and he also uh, acknowledged um, that uh, uh, Tesla CEO Elon Musk um, approved it and, in fact, encouraged it and said, 
Just uh, a quote here from the deposition. Just want to be absolutely clear that everyone's top priority is achieving an amazing autopilot demo drive, Musk said in an email. Since this is a demo, it's fine to hard code some of it, since we will backfill it with production code later in an OTA update, uh, referring to the temporary code. And, and what they had, had actually done is rather than just putting in a destination and having the car navigate itself to that destination, they had hard-coded in a specific route and what lanes to use and everything. Um, so basically the whole thing, you know, is they were, like un- a re- unrepresentative of the way the car actually behaves. I, I've um, back, in, back in the before times, um, there were a lot of uh, autonomous startups, and they would drag me to to Las Vegas or wherever to, to show me off. And it was almost always on a route. This is the route we're using. We're going to use this route, and the car is doing. It's just it's just driving along a route, which yeah. is essentially you know it's like a remote control car. You're just controlling it from a route. There's someone in the car, but <clears throat> telling something. This is what lane you should be in. This is what you do. This is the without it actually having to figure that out. That's not really that's that's yeah that's not actually autonomous driving. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I mean it, it's a it's autonomous to the degree that you know it has to react to some things in real time like other vehicles, pedestrians and so on. But, you know, it's it's not what Tesla claimed it to be. Yeah. Um so you know and and it it still isn't today. You know, the the so-called full self-driving beta that they have today still is not capable of it it's more capable than what was in this video in terms of just putting in a destination and it'll try to figure out a route and try to get you there. But it's not capable of doing it in a way that is safe and reliable, that you can you can just take your hands off the wheel and, and sit back and relax. You do have to be paying very close yeah. attention because it frequently does the wrong thing at the wrong time. It, you know, it's funny because you know Tesla no longer has a, a press department. But when they did and I was getting cars from them, um, I would make sure in my videos and in my articles when I was writing about the Teslas that I would say this is not a self-driving car. I was very, mm-hmm. you know, I was I wanted to make sure that people who who bought this car, who were thinking about buying this car, knew that it was not a self-driving car. And the press team would thank me for that. They thank you so much for saying that. We really appreciate you doing that, because somebody else who worked at Tesla, let's say the CEO, was constantly like you're showing like people like hey, it drives by itself, it does this. But the reality is, and the reality that the press department has to deal with is the fact that it's not a self-driving car. And I would write these articles or I shoot these videos and they go online and I would get emails and I would get DMs and I would get, you know, at reply, you don't know what you're talking about, it's a self-driving car, da-da-da-da-da. And either these people were either Tesla owners or people who just saw the hype. They saw this video and they're like, oh, it's a self-driving car. I'm like, no, it's not a self-driving car. Tesla is actually t- – and I, you know, I'm, I just don't reply. I don't know what to, what to tell these people because nothing I say is going to change their mind at this point. And you know, the, the, you know, the fact that the, that the press team would tell me thank you – and it, it was also funny when I, uh, Tesla would show me how to use a feature. Like, this is a new feature. This is how you use it. I'm like, oh, okay. And so I'd use the, that's how I would use the feature. This is how you use it. I do it in the video and people would send me messages. That's not how you use that. I'm like, the people who built this, <laughs> they had an engineer come out and show me how it works and explain to me what's going on in the car. But yeah, you random dude. <laughs> it's always yeah. a dude, random dude on Twitter. You know better than the actual Tesla engineer who built this. Fine, fine. <laughs> 
Yeah. And um, the, uh, the, the title card in the video that I was, I was looking for it before says, the person in the driver's seat is only there for legal reasons. He is not doing anything. The car is driving itself, which it was not. Yeah. Um, and uh, at, another thing, at, at the end of the video, it's about a four-minute video, and I'll put a link to it you can watch. Um, the engineer steps out of the vehicle. The driver's side door appears to shut itself, and the vehicle parallel parks in space with no one at the wheel. However, in the course of filming this, it took several tries to actually get it to do that, uh, including one attempt in which it ran into a fence at Tesla's headquarters in Palo Alto. <laughs> so, oh, I always feel bad. There, there used to be where their Palo Alto uh, uh, headquarters was. There, it was like are surrounded by like horses. Yeah, the real, the only autonomous vehicle you can really get, to be honest, yeah. <laughs> is a horse. <laughs> You don't have to do anything. The horse will just go where it needs to go. Yeah. Um, but I was always like concerned about them hitting a horse. <laughs> uh, oh, the the, uh, the the director of Autopilot Software, uh, who was in the deposition, his name was Ashok uh, Elaswamy. Um, and uh, one of the questions that he was asked as well, another question he was asked, was about operational design domains. So in, in developing automated driving systems, you know, they use the term operational design domain so what you know what is what are the limits of what where the system can operate so like can it operate in daylight can it operate 24 hours a day what kind of weather what locations and so the odd is just these are the, the criteria that the the engineers have set as the limitations for where the system can operate when it gets outside of that and you know for super cruise as an example you know it was, the original odd was divided highways you know, and they've gradually expanded that to more kinds of roads since then. Um, uh, Elaswamy was asked about, you know, what is an operational design domain? And his answer to the question was, I don't know. This guy is the, the head of autopilot software and didn't know. You know everybody in this industry knows what an ODD is. He, did, he was either lying and saying he didn't know, or if he was telling the truth that he didn't know, this is not somebody who should be at any in any way involved with developing automated driving systems. So, anyway, I yeah I don't want to go on too long about this one, but uh, just you know be careful out there if you've got a Tesla or any other vehicle with any kind of partial automation. You know, be aware of what it can do, and more importantly, be aware of what it can't do, and don't don't try to explore the limits. You know, it's 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 not safe for you. And it's also not safe for other people using the roads because you're not alone on the roads. Um, you know, it's this is this is all you know. We're, we have to share the roads with other drivers, with pedestrians, with cyclists, um, you know, with animals. Um, you know, and they did not consent to being part of an experiment. So Those horses, you know, be, don't yeah, forget about the horses. Yeah, don't forget yeah, the horses. You know, be respectful of other road users and do not try to uh, whether you. You're trying out your your automated driving system, or you know you're just taking your your sports car out, you know, for a Sunday Sunday morning drive. You know, be respectful of others on the road. Yeah. All right. Um, <clears throat> one of the uh, the segments that has really popped up in the auto industry over the last year and a half, uh, and is starting to gain some real traction. Is uh, small pickup trucks. They, you know, they finally came back, and you know we've been quite effusive in our endorsement of both the uh, the Ford Maverick and the uh, Hyundai Santa Cruz. Um, and now GM is apparently finally looking at doing a small pickup truck. 
Yeah, so uh, so Hannah Letts wrote something over at Auto News. We both saw this. We were actually in the same group. We both talked to the same time. Hannah just writes faster than me. Uh, yeah. uh, I have an article going up on, on, on Ars Technica next week about this. But uh, as Hannah points out, that um, we, we went into a design studio where they were showing us design – essentially design studies for what uh, GM is thinking for a sub-$30,000 EV. And uh, the first study was under, under uh, what do you call it? Sheet, a black sheet, silk. and it l- silk. I just, I, yeah, a silk. Um, and it looked like, well, you know, it like, kind of looked like a baby, like a baby Bronco. So I don't think Hannah, I don't know if Hannah mentioned this in her article, but there's, there's like the little, you know, it looked like a small like sport utility with a le- little tire on the back, because you know you throw that tire on the back and suddenly everything's cool. Um, and then they had a they had a, a crossover that was a bit more dynamic than the the Equinox coming. And then they had a, a wagon that was also under silk, uh, which you know Americans don't want. Uh, <laughs> like oh a wagon, <laughs> and then and then at the very end, it is very small um, truck. This little tiny pickup. It's you know it seats two, um, it has a four and a half foot bed. It's very low slung. And uh, what I, I mentioned in my Ars Technica piece is that it reminds me of the Nissan uh, Gobi a bit. Oh, but, yeah. But remember the Gobi from, the, from 1990? I remember being obsessed with the Gobi, by the way, when, uh, when it showed up in all the, the glossies. Like, we just kept talking about the damn Nissan Gobi with my friend so much so he wanted me to shut up about it. <laughs> Um, but if it's a little bit more slow, uh, uh, low slung, it's a bit more dynamic and it's really, it's built for, you know, going to the beach and, 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 you know, throwing your surfboard in the back and all this stuff. And while that design probably won't happen, you know, it's, it does show that, uh, GM is definitely looking at that small pickup, um, market that, uh, Ford and Hyundai have, have finally have returned to. And are doing quite well with, and everyone else for some reason just kept ignoring because they're like, well, just make bigger and bigger pickups, which I understand the profit margins on a pickup are bonkers uh, versus the profit margins on a cheap, small pickup, less bonkers. Uh, but at the end of the day, people really like, I mean, that Ford Maverick, people are buying a thing like, like gangbusters. And in addition to that uh, vehicle, we did a, I don't know, Zoom call essentially with the California design studio. And they showed us a small truck, which is about the size of a Maverick, but lifted. And they didn't show that it was under silk, but he, he lifted up just a little corner so we could see the bumper and a little bit of the grill. And the uh, grill looked a bit like a Hummer. So it was like a small EV Hummer. They kept saying sustainable. It's, you know, extreme sustainability. (laughs) And they kept saying off-road and whatnot. So it's, it's not too far-fetched to think that they're doing a, a Maverick or Ford, you know, Ranger-sized, uh, off-road, um, tinier Hummer for, I guess, the rest of us. And that would probably that would likely be more expensive. That's probably like a fifty thousand dollar car. But the fact that they showed off two smaller trucks, both of them EVs, during this uh, this uh, tour of the Warren, Michigan facility, um, is, is 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 good news for people who, frankly, they they want something they can haul stuff with. That's not you know they. That isn't doesn't start at fifty thousand dollars, sixty thousand dollars. Not yeah, everyone needs an yeah. I don't. Not everyone needs an F one fifty or even a Ford Ranger. You know, again, after driving that Maverick, I still think about the Maverick. I still have the wood that I cut for it to put yeah. in the back for the video. <laughs> so I still I'm like maybe we should get a Ford Maverick. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, 
This, you know, looking at the Gobi again, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of the uh, the Dodge Rampage and the VW Rabbit pickup of the uh, the mid '80s. Oh, it does. It's it's like a Gobi and a Dodge Rampage had a little baby. <laughs> that's 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 kind of what now now that you think I, I completely forgot about the Rampage. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I haven't even looked. I don't even have to look at the Rampage. I can see it in my mind's eye. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, do you do you think that a two door, you know, two seat pickup of this size would actually be appealing in the U.S. market. I mean, I can see where it would have an appeal, you know, in some other markets. I'm not so sure about the U.S. market. The, the U.S. market's got to be a four door. It's yeah. not going to be a small. It was smaller, you know. This this vehicle was smaller than the Maverick. Um, but the U.S. market, we we need, you know, we gotta you gotta have that those extra two doors. You gotta be able to throw two people in the back or your dogs or you know the the car seat situation. That's a huge that's a huge huge deal. Um, you know, you need that, you know, that rear seat in order to feel better about that because you don't want to shove them in the front and turn off and remember to turn off the, 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 the airbag and, you know, all that stuff. So, yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think a, a two door, um, pickup in you, I mean, you can get a single cab truck. I've seen like two Yeah. <laughs> in my, in, like in like the last year, like brand new but no one, no one else, no one's buying it, those. I mean, the, the the only the only customers that buy those really anymore are you know some fleets. Yeah. Um, you know that like you know local municipal fleets you know will buy them, you know for their parks crews, parks cleanup crews. Yeah, like yeah. You see them for the parks crews. I've only seen two outside of like the, all the the park like the state, regional, and national park crews. Every, everyone else is getting that that extra cab or king cab or. Super cab or mega cab or ultra cab, right. and, whatever. You know, and when uh, when Ford launched the Lightning last year, you know, we asked them about, you know, would they do uh, a two door, you know, a standard cab version uh, or even extended cab? And he said, well, we could, but you know, eighty five percent of all F one fifty cells are you know this crew cab short bed configuration, um, you know, and they just didn't see enough potential demand for a standard cab version of it. Um, so, you know, especially as an EV, yeah, Yeah. especially with the, with EVs, because it's really trying to make as much money and that, you know, when we talk to, to, um, to them, you know, it's, it's really, you know, as they're looking at a sub $30,000 vehicle, it's really about trying to figure out how you can build a vehicle that doesn't have too much R and D because that goes into the cost. It doesn't have too much development. You can say, okay, here are all the designs. And then you have to figure out, okay, which of these, if we have two of them or three of them, can we use parts from other vehicles, but, you know, non-customer facing parts so it doesn't just look like a parts bin car. Um, and so there's a lot of thought that goes into making an inexpensive car because it has to be an inexpensive car from, from beginning to end, from, from idea to, you know, selling it to you on the lot. You know, you can't spend, you know, billions of dollars <laughs> doing yeah. R&D to make a $25,000 uh, EV because you're just you're losing money. It's it's not just the, the actual manufacturing of the vehicle. It's all it's everything about that. And so, it, you know, it's 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 you know, they have to think about that. And they have to think about, you know, we can't you know, they, they, they don't want to put a $25,000 vehicle that they've that no one wants to buy. Mm-hmm. That's that's the other thing. So, you know, they have to do. Like focus, you know, I talked to them about focus groups and or or auto shows, like which is better. And they, they actually uh, they're saying, well, focus groups are, are actually a little bit better because you can ask why they don't like something. Well, well, you know, they can ask people to elaborate because you put a car 
a concept car at a show and you ask everybody how much they like it and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, I love this. You know, this is great. But yeah. if you put them in a focus group and you say, hey, you can be mean about this car. And they can, okay, well, this is what it Tell us like, what you really think. Yeah, tell us what you really think. So um, if you get on one of those groups, um, I don't know, small trucks and wagons, just uh, <laughs> be the person who, uh, who, 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 and, and we talked a little bit about this. He's like, you know who loves uh, wagons? Designers and auto journalists. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And, and, and Europeans. That's it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Designers, automotive journalists, and Europeans. He's like, it, it's, it's cool. It's a fun design. It's a fun design piece, but. If no one's going to buy it, and you know we've had we have wagons in this country, and like Volvo had some really nice wagons, and just no one was buying them. You're just like, yeah, it, you know, tried. Well, give, give, given the choice of you know a Volvo V60 or an XC60, Volvo customers bought the XC60. Overwhelmingly bought the XC60. Yeah. That's their number one is, selling vehicle, which is unfortunate, but that's you know it's just the reality of the situation. So, all right. Well, speaking of, of big cars, um, one one last item um, over on uh, on the bird site, uh, our friend uh, Brianna Wu uh, posted something this morning, a screen grab from a site that she found uh, called carsized.com. Uh, and that's uh, sized, you know, kind of like um, with a D on the end. And uh, she posted it. And, and what you can do in there is you can pick two vehicles. And it overlays them on top of each other, and you can have it line them up, you know, by wheelbase, or you know, line them up the front end or the back end, so you can compare the difference in size. And she put her uh, her Boxster on there with a GMC Sierra pickup, um, and uh, you know, the Boxster definitely fit within within the uh, the outer limits of the tires, not quite within the wheelbase. And so I went there. And put uh, Miata on there, and the Miata pretty much fits within between the axles of of a Sierra, of a crew cab Sierra. Um, and so you can go through, and there's, yeah, you know, I think it's actually a European site because there's a lot of European brands on there as well. Uh, but you can you can find most cars, you know, from at least you know over the last uh, couple of decades, um, and you can compare the sizes and see. Yeah, even take the same vehicle from different generations and see how they've changed and grown. Um, and they have grown. They've they've gotten bigger. Oh yeah, I love to tell a story about the um, the time we went to uh, do a car shoot. I think it was the. It doesn't matter. And there was a CRX there, and we were like, oh, we were waiting for this the the, the owner to come back uh, so we could talk to him about their CRX. And while they were gone, and while we were doing our shoot. Uh, Nissan, like I think it was a Nissan Versa. No, it was even it was the Toyota. What's the tiny Toyota? The Tercel. No, Echo? no, no. Well, no, maybe it was a Nissan. Yaris? Anyway, Yaris. That's what it was. The Yaris showed up. And, they keep changing uh, the name. Yeah. So yeah. So the Toyota Yaris showed up, and it just like it just is huge. The, the CRX just looks so <laughs> tiny next to the the Yaris, which if you see it on the road now, and you see it in a in a in a, in a lineup at a showroom, it's just such a small car. But it was just so much bigger than CRX. Well, you know, it's funny. I, back, I remember back uh, like 2009 or something, uh, I was doing a first drive review of the second generation Honda Fit um, for Autoblog. And, you know, in looking at the dimensions of this thing, I decided to go back and pull up the specs for the original 1976 Honda Accord. You know, and the Accord was considered, at that time, was Honda's bigger car because it was quite a bit bigger than the Civic yeah. of that generation. And 
the the 2009 Fit was about eight inches longer than the first generation Accord, which you know at, at that time and now you know is considered a large car. You know, it's no longer a compact car; it's a large car by EPA standards. And the uh, the Fit, you know, was bigger, you know, smaller than the, the the then current Accord, but quite a bit larger than the first generation Accord and a lot roomier. Uh, I remember a friend uh, when I was in college had one of those first generation Accords. You know, we were carpooling to to work, um, and uh, you know, I, I remember you know what that one felt like. And you know, my daughter had um, a 2008 Fit, first gen Fit. You know, and that thing felt so roomy compared to those old Accords. And it's you know, it's amazing how you know how these things have grown over the years. Yeah, they just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and. Like, if you drive a car, a friend of mine went and drove a, a Datsun B something. I don't remember which one he drove. It doesn't matter. He's like, it's, he's like, it was like, you know, he's, he's had, he has a GTI, he's had a Prius, he's had a bunch of cars. And he's just like, I haven't not been in a car from the 70s in a very long time. I felt like it's just, there's nothing. It's just you and some, and like a slab of, like a tiny slither, <laughs> slither of aluminum and the road. He's like, I felt unsafe because, you know, those doors were just like metal, glass, you know, for your window and the little mechanism to roll the window and open the door. And then like, you know, some little panel. That's it. It was super yeah. thin. And he's like, I felt that's, like that's I was like, like in my Miata too. Yeah. You're just, I felt like I was just like, in the road. I'm like, well, that's that's how old cars were. We just didn't think about it back then because we're like, oh, this is how all cars are. Now there's such a huge, like, chunk of, like, car between you and the road just be, you know, just for a lot of reasons and, yeah. and a lot of them safety. Yeah. And, you know, funny thing is, you know, a lot of people talk about how much heavier cars have gotten. And uh, I wrote an article a few years back that, you know, and that, that's true up to a point. At least, you know, prior to EVs. With EVs, we have taken a big jump in weight. But um, with, with gas engine cars, you know, if you compare generations of, um, of a particular nameplate, like say, let's take the Honda Civic. If you compare the, today's Honda Civic to a Civic from the 1970s or early 80s, yeah, it is a lot bigger and it's a lot heavier. But uh, what I actually found was that... Um, you know, if you go, if you actually compare, because, you know, what typically happens is any given nameplate over from generation to generation typically gets larger and moves up in size class. So, you know, the original Civic was, you know, sub sub compact, you know, and today it's, you know, pretty much a midsize car. Mm -hmm. um, but if you look at similar sized cars, you know, similar, similar length uh, and width from today versus 30 or 40 years ago. They're actually not that much heavier. They're, in fact, in many cases, they're the same or lighter, despite the fact that these new, these modern cars are way stronger and can withstand. You know, if you if you took a 1980s Honda Civic and did a modern crash test with it, you know, it would just crumple up into a little ball. Yeah, and you know, nobody would nobody would walk away from it. And you do the same thing with a modern Civic, and you know, you can you can walk away from that. I was at Honda a couple of years ago, and they they did a demo of the small offset rigid barrier test with a Civic. And you could still open the door, open and close the doors after the crash test. Um, and, you know, that same Civic compared to a similar sized car of 40 years ago actually weighs about the same. 
Um, you know, but you know, now it's got, you know, eight, 10 airbags in it and all these other features that weren't in those cars. And it's so much stronger. So, you know, the, they've made a lot of advances in materials and everything else. It's just that, you know, at the same time, consumers have also demanded larger vehicles so that they, if they would just stay in the same size vehicle, you know, they could get a lot more without getting heavier, but they've gotten into bigger and bigger and bigger vehicles, you know, so now we have 9,500 pound Hummer EVs. And it's sad. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. It's, you know, but there, there was a good video a few years ago from Toyota, from an older Toyota, a new Toyota. Or maybe it was, I don't know if it was from Toyota, it was from somebody, but it, I think it was like the old Tercel or the old Camry or the old Corolla. I guess not Tercel since that's not, you can't buy a Tercel anymore. But I think the older Corolla or the older Camry versus the new one and just the, the crash, essentially the crash test of both of those vehicles. And you're like, oh, oh, this is why you buy your kid a newer car. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, and and GM did that with, uh, I think, about ten years ago with a, a then current generation Malibu and and the original first generation Malibu from the late '60s and crashed them into each other, and you know, same thing, you know, the the the, the modern Malibu, you know, you could open and close the doors and walk away, and the other one, you know, just crumpled up, you know, even though it was a larger car, you know, it 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 was just totally destroyed. Sheesh. Yeah. All right. Let's answer a couple of questions. Um, Who's got questions? First up from uh, Jonathan Brown. uh, says, love the podcast, yet I wonder where a 40% increase in sales for any automotive company is considered lacking. And this this is referring to uh, Tesla uh, announcing their um, end-of-year sales results uh, a couple of weeks ago, where their overall deliveries, uh, global deliveries for 2022, were up 40% compared to 2021. Uh, in a year where supply issues are still an issue for an, any automotive company, an increase in unit sales, in my opinion, is impressive. 40% is amazing. Um, personal opinions are always welcome, yet when political bias by automotive journalists and hosts is so obviously biased, respect for professionalism can be diminished. A dislike for Elon Musk as a human being is sadly biased. Well, I don't agree with that. But, I, 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 before we keep going, I'm going to say okay. I do not like Elon Musk. I have a lot of friends who work at Tesla, and they're and, and I know a lot of people who work at Tesla, and they're smart and they're wonderful people. And I do not want Tesla to go away. Mm-hmm. Um, I want Tesla to be run by an adult. That's that's yeah. it. I, I think I, what Tesla has done, and it's a group effort. It wasn't just Elon Musk is amazing, but you also have to take into account that the man is insane. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I, I totally agree with that. Um, and just to finish up um, uh, Jonathan's note, Musk's purchase of Twitter and open it up from political bias one way or the other is, again, a challenging event for those who preferred the previous use of Twitter. Um, fun podcasts, even if we disagree. Uh, if we all agreed, life would be boring. I'm really just <laughs> suggesting a slightly better balance. Uh, the new Corvette E-Ray releasing on uh, 117 should be quite the attracting discussion for your podcast. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I agree with what you said, you know, about Tesla as a company. Um, I mean, you know, and, and we've said this a lot over the years. You know, I totally respect what Tesla has done in terms of inspiring the rest of the industry to do better with EVs. And, you know, we're, we're starting to see that impact now across the industry. You know, Tesla was the first to really demonstrate that an, a, a modern EV could be something so much more than just a basic economy car. Compliance. Uh, and it, that Blah. it could be... You We'd know, all be driving and, compliance cars still if it wasn't yeah. for Tesla. Or, or Nissan Leafs, you know, with 70-mile yeah. ranges. Boo. Um, you know, and, 
you know, they've all, you know, it's not just, just on the, um, electrification side, but you know, they're what they've done with electrical architecture, uh, with software, you know, there's, there's a lot that they've done to inspire huge changes in the way the automotive industry operates and that's good. And they deserve credit for that. Um, but they also at the same time deserve condemnation for the way they've handled autopilot and full self-driving, uh, which we already talked about earlier. Um, you know, and to the, you know, the, the 40% increase in sales, you know, considered lacking, you know, I think overall, you know, on its own, I don't think anybody necessarily considers a 40% jump in sales, especially in 2022 when most companies were struggling to build, you know, everything they could. Um, that's not the issue. The issue with Tesla is that, you know, right up until, you know, well into the fourth quarter, Tesla was still projecting that they were going to have a 50% increase in sales. And most of the the disappointment at a 40% increase in sales was not necessarily from people like us. It was from Wall Street, fin- from, Wall Street from financial analysts who, you know, made their their pricing, their stock pricing projections assuming, you know, based on the guidance that Tesla was giving them. And Tesla fell short of their guidance. And this happens in every industry to every company where the company falls short of the guidance. I'm not saying it's a good thing. You know, I think that, you know, analysts, you know, financial analysts need to do a better job of, you know, really understanding what the companies are doing. And I think a lot of financial analysts don't really understand the stuff, the companies that they're covering. Uh, But that's a whole other issue. And, you know, we don't need to get into that here. A lot of you know it's it's the 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 I think the 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 lacking that's that's a stock issue. Uh, yeah. Tesla has been over. Even Elon Musk has said Tesla is is not worth as much as the stock has said. And this was years ago, obviously, before you know he started making billions of stock yeah. and selling it. Um, so yeah, it's 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 really a, a stock issue and you know an overvaluation of Tesla. And yeah, forty percent sales increase. That's in in a, in a and a sane world, like, good job, well played. Yeah. Uh, but that's not how Wall Street works. Like it's the same thing that's happened with uh, Apple. Every time Apple would have mm-hmm. an event, the joke was Apple would have an event, show all these great things that millions of people are going to buy, and then the next day their their stock would drop. It's just every yeah. single time. It just didn't, and it's it's because the analysts like expected something more. They always expected a brand, an iPhone, which was such a huge game changer, and that's. The, the chances of that happening every year are just no. That's not going to happen. That it's like a once in a generation type of device. Uh, you know, they had the iPod, they had the iPhone, and now you're like, well, now what? And you're like, well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's it's it, that's it's yeah. If you look at the, it's really a lot, a lot of the financial stuff, and and it doesn't help the the stock when the owner or the CEO of the company is also the CEO of another company and another company and another and company. Another company. <laughs> And he's he's clearly not paying attention to really the one that makes him all the money, to mm-hmm. to be honest. And and if I were a a, a, a a I don't own any stocks in any automotive car things anything that I cover because blah 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 ethics. Um, but if I own stock in Tesla, I'd be kind of irritated by the fact that the person who I put my trust in is over at Twitter doing whatever he's doing over there, regardless of whether or not I like Elon Musk and what he's tweeting. The, the the fact is he has a car company he should be running and that's where, <laughs> go run your car company i don't want to see your posts about whatever i don't care about you you know especially in, just as a in, in, in the financial world is very much as black and white i just want to make money not lose money that's it 
There's there's no sort of like, oh, I like Elon Musk, I don't like Elon Musk. That's an individual thing. But in the financial world, it's 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 just down to well, he's not doing his job because he's over here, and they didn't hit the projections. And maybe that's because he didn't do his job, which probably isn't, but doesn't matter because that's how the financial markets work. Yeah. All right. Enough of, enough of uh, that. Um, we got another question from Troy, which came in via email. And uh, you can send those questions uh, to feedback at wheelbearings.media. And the other thing you can also do, um, you know, if, uh, if you want, is you can actually record, uh, do an audio recording. Use, you know, uh, the voice recorder on your phone um, to record a question or comment and just post it somewhere on Dropbox or iCloud or OneDrive or you know wherever you want and send us a link to it um, at uh, at feedback at email or feedback at wheelbearings.com and uh, we you know if it's as long as it's not uh, too long uh, we'll include that in the show as well so you can participate that way uh, but Troy asks uh, my wife currently drives a 2011 Ford Escape uh, with 132,000 miles on the clock uh, so this is the second generation Escape uh, she's be- be- beginning to look for a new vehicle. She's five foot ten, and our eight-year-old daughter is five foot. Uh, we tend to keep vehicles for ten plus years. Good for you, Troy. Good, good plan. I like that. Um, try to trying to find something that will accommodate our growing daughter. We don't want her to be super cramped in the back seat. She's uh, she's been looking at the Ford Maverick, uh, Ford Ranger, Subaru Crosstrek Outback, um, and I tried selling her on an Odyssey, but she does not want to entertain a van. Oh, bummer. <laughs> That's just me all the time. Just buy a minivan, but please go on. <laughs> uh, anyway, I drive an F-150 crew cab, uh, and that has plenty of room, but it is too big for her. Understandable. It's, it's a big truck. A, yeah. uh, we, we live in the southeast and have to evacuate for hurricanes, so legroom and storage are key. Thoughts and questions. Kia, well, up at, Kia uh, Carnival. Yeah, that's right. It's not. It's not a minivan. It's, it's not a minivan. MPV. It's an MPV. I've been it's a thinking about this vehicle. It's funny because I've been thinking about this for the last two weeks because I'm always trying to get people into a, a minivan because they're like, oh, I have a kid, you know. Especially if they have babies and toddlers, mm-hmm. where it's you know it's difficult to open that door in a busy in a, in a crowded parking lot, and the fact that the door just slides open and you have all this room for literally everything you need to drag your child around the earth, you have that in a in a minivan, and then I was like. Kia Carnival, because it, it's it's not a minivan. It's yeah. MPV. <laughs> <laughs> and and if you still can't convince your wife that it's not a minivan, um, you could take a look at the Sorento, uh, another really good choice. That's not too big. Uh, it's it's roomy enough. Um, and uh, you know what I would suggest is don't get the optional third row uh, because it's pretty much useless anyway. Yeah. But you'll have lots of cargo space in the back. And you know we were just talking about vehicles getting bigger. Um, you know, Hyundai's been making some of their vehicles in the latest generation considerably larger. The um, uh, the new generation Tucson. You know, if you want something even a little bit smaller than the the Sorento, um, the Tucson uh, is another uh, excellent choice. It got what six eight inches longer in this current generation. Uh, it's got a lot of cargo space in the back. Um, you can get the Tucson with a hybrid or a plug-in hybrid. Um, so, you know, with the, with the plug-in hybrid and actually same is true also for the Sorento, you can get the hybrid or plug-in hybrid. Um, those plug-in hybrids, uh, get about 34, 35 miles of electric driving range. So for your daily commute, um, you know, you can pretty much do all of that on electricity alone. Uh, and then, you know, when you do need to escape from a hurricane, uh, you know, you don't have to necessarily worry about, you know, where are you going to charge it along the way? 
you've got lots of space in the back for all the gear. Um, so I think those are, are two excellent choices to consider as well. Yeah, I'm assuming Troy is taller than his wife. If she's 5'10 and their daughter, you have an 8-year-old daughter. So by the time their daughter's 18, I guess by the, the, yeah, they need a lot of room in the back. Yeah. Or she'll be so, driving the car. There's also that, that. Yeah, could be. Putting mom in the back or yeah. dad. Someone has to sit in the back while the daughter's driving. <laughs> I guess whoever she yells shotgun. So, Troy, yeah. start practicing yelling shotgun now. you got you got eight <laughs> years to, to master it. So there's, there's, there's some options for you. And, you know. Maverick is always a good choice too. Um, you know, you can you can put lots of stuff in there. Although, um, you know, with uh, you know, you'll you'll probably actually get more stuff in the Maverick. Um, you know, even with a tonneau cover on it, than you would in any of the crossovers. Uh, but you might want to um, you, you you might want to make sure you get a tonneau cover for it um, to uh, you know to keep everything dry if if you do need to escape a storm. Um, whereas with the crossovers, you know, you've got that space and, you know, with three of you, uh, you know, in the crossover, you know, they all have split folding rear seats so you can fold down one side, you know, and have more cargo space in there as well. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's a good option. I know more people buy the cross track, but the Outback's the better, that's the better deal. I think. Yeah. That's a little, little bigger, more space, more spacious. Yeah. So. All right. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks, everybody. And don't forget, you can send in your questions and comments to feedback at wheelbearings.media. Uh, you can find us on, uh, on Mastodon um, and, uh, uh, and potentially other places. Um, not <laughs> rare, rarely checking in on Twitter anymore, but uh, still, still look in once in a while. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.